0: This is Gesher, the podcast that's bridging the gap between the Jewish and evangelical Christian communities with conversations that matter. Here's your host, Ty Perry, with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry.
1: Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of Gesher, the second in a two-part series on the origins and the reliability of the scriptures. Thanks for tuning in. Well, as I said in our in our last uh, episode on this, we have an estimated 5 billion copies of the scriptures sold worldwide. So it's far and away the best-selling book in history. But confusion abounds when it comes not just to its interpretation, we know that exists, but also to its origins and the question of its reliability. So unlike most other books, the Bible claims to be the very word of God. And today we're going to be talking about how we got this. How did it go from God to man? My return guest is Mark Holman, pastor of Northeastern Baptist Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. He received his bachelor's degree in pastoral studies from Faith Baptist Bible College in Aikene, Iowa, and earned his MDiv degree from Central Baptist Theological Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota. He has served here at Northeastern Baptist Church in Kalamazoo, Kalamazoo, Michigan since 2017. Pastor, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Welcome back.
0: Well, thank you, Ty.
1: So we're talking uh, about the Bible. Certainly last time we talked about the reliability of the Scripture, and I recommend that listeners go back and listen to that one first if you haven't. But today I want to talk about the actual the Bible itself. How did we get this? Now, uh, if you read in, in Exodus, uh, we know that uh, this famous account of the Ten Commandments uh, being given directly to Moses on Sinai— um, but that's not necessarily how it always worked when it came to getting the Bible. So I want to begin by talking about that, specifically the question of inspiration. Um, there's this well-known verse in the New Testament in Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed or is inspired and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work does that mean, inspiration or God-breathed as it concerns uh, getting the scriptures?
0: Um, there's another verse in 2 Peter one twenty one that talks about um, holy men of God spoke as they were borne along by the Holy Spirit, mm. and God so moved upon the authors of scripture that they recorded without error what God wanted to be written, uh, his thoughts on
1: those original surfaces on which they wrote so there were times uh like with moses he's he's actually given physically the word of god there's um other times we, we see isaiah where he has a vision and it's it's almost a uh it's almost god mm-hmm. dictating to him what to say but that's not always the case is that right, right. yeah
0: sometimes it was dictation like with the 10 commandments written mm-hmm. with the finger of god but um, God super, I guess the word is He superintended their their personalities, their education, even even over over their sinfulness. He could superintend just because a person wrote it doesn't mean that it's marked by error. Not t- to be human is not to err, to- although humans do err. Right. right, and we believe that God superintended over over human error in order for Him to communicate His Word to those people.
1: Now we have a term, uh, at least in theological circles, for uh, the difference between the copies of scripture that we have, the copies, and what was given. What was? So what do we call those? We call those the autographs, the, the autographs.
0: Autographer, What w- the original, you know, um, the two tablets of stone, um, as we as we all know, the ark resides, according to the Indiana Jones films, <laughs> in a top secret United States government warehouse somewhere in Nevada. Have right? you seen we, that? Uh, <laughs> I've, I've seen the movies. Oh, It okay. must be true, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, but those. Uh, wouldn't we love to find those tablets of stone somewhere? Yeah. But they're they're gone. In fact, there there isn't a single autograph in existence. Hmm. You won't uh, of the New Testament with Paul. Uh, not, not even the great Isaiah scroll in the museum over in Israel. Mm-hmm. That's under lock and key. Mm-hmm. Um, very secure. That wasn't exactly what Isaiah wrote on.
1: Right. No autograph actually exists. So I can hear the skeptic who might say, okay, let me just say, I I, I grant that um, the original autographs were inspired. They're given by God. But good grief. It's been... Centuries since uh, we got any of the Bible, whether it's uh, Moses writings or down to, to John's writings in the New Testament. So how is it that we get from uh, those original autographs to our copies and you can still say, well, this is the Word of God. hasn't it been haven't they been tampered with by human beings? Well, I mean, they were copied
0: by hand. Mm-hmm. Every copy of Scripture, in order for it to survive, to have been copied by hand i mean it it would have been wonderful if i could have taken this this uh, hewlett-packard copy machine (laughs) you know had isaiah you know right after he completed the oh i don't know the 60-foot scroll he was writing on and just just send it through the copy machine but that would have been wonderful but that's just not the way in the providence of god he chose to preserve his word um he had even told the kings to to make a copy of the law for themselves, the word of God was copied by hand. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, some people can wonder, well, then then the message must have been lost, like a complicated telephone game over time. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe uh, we can't possibly understand what they originally wrote. But there's actually been some, uh, there's there's historical proof that actually over thousands of years, Something can be. In fact, God's word was copied by hand, and we've been able to do like a little a test experiment on
1: the accuracy of hand copying
0: over centuries of
1: time. Well, I'm I'm thinking of um, of a man. I cannot think of his name right now, but he's a professor at Dallas Seminary in this field, and he said once that we have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to manuscripts, and that. The di- the differences between those manuscripts are tiny, um, so I guess as I think about that, I think so. If if I if I today um, took a piece of paper and I tried to write down a whole passage of scripture um, in my notebook, mm-hmm. undoubtedly I know myself there would be uh, scribal errors. Yeah, but do those scribal errors impact whether or not we can? trust that this is still the word of god or um should should we be concerned of scribal errors and and things like that i think some of the scribal errors as it were
0: like in the with the masoretic text I mean, and da- you were speaking of of daniel wallace yes, speaking right. of the new testament manuscripts and there's kind of a different history of transmission with the new testament documents as opposed to the the tanakh mm-hmm. with the, with the old testament but um you know i I'll, I'll go back to to the Tanakh with the with the, the masoretes scribal errors actually demonstrate more the meticulous nature by which the bible was was copied for thousands of years what do you mean by that well um so the masoretes from about 500 Five hundred A.D. to a thousand A.D., from the Ben Asher family around the, as I understand, to around the Galilean area in Israel, undertook to hand copy what we Christians call the Old Testament, what the Jews call the Tanakh, and uh, left behind. Um, I I have a copy here in my library, uh, the Leningrad Codex, which is the this, the the oldest complete manuscript of the. Of the Tanakh, mm-hmm. and um, it is a Masoretic text. Okay, produced, produced, and hand copied. Again, there's there's no Yo- Johannes Gutenberg. There hasn't mm-hmm. been the printing press, so there could be no copy machines. Mm-hmm. So that that codex was passed along as those papyrus um, or leather. I mean those those scrolls wear out over time naturally, mm-hmm. just in in the natural climate. And um, so you have to produce further copies and copies of copies. And when, when I say that the scribal error is actually so the faithfulness of transmission, I'm, th- I'm thinking of like what I have learned by reading the, Ma- the Leningrad Codex. I can remember when I was in seminary taking a Hebrew class. It was a second-year Hebrew class. We were going through translating the book of Ruth. And as we're reading along, we came to something that the Masoretes had done about a thousand times i'm told in 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 my masoretic text this occurs it occurs It's something called the kativ kore hmm. so this is what a masoret did they're they're like you they're they're handwriting a copy of scripture and they've been they've been handed you know maybe from your wife she also you're copying a copy that your your wife copied for you mm-hmm. and so you're reading along on her copy, and you see you see a word, and you think, oh, "Lissy, Lissy made a mistake here." <laughs> okay, I want you to I want you to repeat. That's that not that, likely. What I but, said, "Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Lissy made a mistake in her copy. I can tell it's a mistake, but I don't want to change. I don't want to change Lissy's copy. I could be wrong." Mm-hmm. Right, the Masoretes, they saw what was in their written copy that had been handed to them and they saw in, in the written text, they saw what, look, sometimes that mistake was just a single letter. Okay. Okay. As a demonstration of this, just as an example, and for the people to be able to picture this, I could read to you from, from Ruth chapter two, right? Familiar words from the story of Ruth. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. Relative. Now the word relative... Um, in Hebrew, the difference of one letter is the difference between the word acquaintance and the word kinsman. Mm. Just one letter difference. And, w- and which is it? Well, we know that we know that um, Boaz was a kinsman. yeah, but what, is that what the author is trying to say at that point or is he trying to leave some suspense like, mm-hmm. oh, an acquaintance, what, what, how, do, how do you know him type of thing? And so the Masoretes, as they were going along and they saw that, they made a certain choice and they, they, they decided to leave the written text as it was. But since they thought, uh, maybe maybe it should read kinsmen, we'll put the word kinsman in the margin and we'll show it. We'll show what is what is read. They called it the Karay, what is read, what we will read and they put this little tiny circle in the text so you'd be reading along in the text you'd see this word you would see that it said a, say acquaintance but you'd see a little circle above it and so you'd read and you wouldn't actually read what is written you would your eye would go to the margin and you would read the word see i'm just trying to demonstrate and this is an important difference this is a a single letter a single word that doesn't affect the message of Ruth, or what it says, but I just wanted to show that the Masoretes were so careful to be so meticulous about preserving what the Bible, what God's word actually said, that they said we're not we're not going to change this. Yeah, we're, we're going to change it in the margin on, on the margin, so people know that we think it's a mistake, but we just we don't. We have such respect for what we've been given. We're going to preserve it. So, I think, you know, in that sense, scribal errors actually demonstrate, and again, there aren't very many of them, right? You know, um, actually demonstrate the faithfulness and the dependability that we have what, what God originally inspired on
1: the autographs. Mm. Now, when we talk about the scriptures, um, most of us today, uh, at least uh, Christians, we go to our shelf and we get off a a, from there, a book and all of these various books of the Bible, they're all bound and it's very easy to see that there are unity, but that wasn't always the case. And uh, physically or even um, figuratively, when we talk about the word Canon, um, this, this is where this comes in. So what is the Canon of scripture? And, uh, how was that determined? I'm sure it's different for both the old and the new, but could you speak to that a little bit?
0: Um, well, the the canon of Scripture is something that was... I, you know, the Jews were really entrusted with the oracles of God regarding the Old Testament, and there doesn't seem to be any debate in, in the at the turn of the millennium around the time of Christ as to what comprised the the Old Testament mm-hmm. canon. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus Christ in, in Matthew chapter 23, um, he said these words. He said, So all the righteous blood shed on the earth will be charged to you from the blood of righteous Abel, well that be the book of Genesis, mm-hmm. to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom he murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Mm. Now, that would be in the Hebrew Old Testament canon the book of 2nd Chronicles because they have a different they have the same content the same books of as are what we call our Old Testament are the same books that are in the the Tanakh i think it's 22 books in the Tanakh mm-hmm. and we have 39 but it's the same content just in a different arrangement or order Jesus Christ could basically say from from Genesis to our Malachi, as yeah. it were, or the what would be the the equivalent of Second Chronicles, you know that's 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 the canon, and that was not that would not be contested by by the Pharisees or the people of his day. So as far as the Old Testament canon, um, I think the Jews are the best testimony as to what what those books comprise. Yeah.
1: And if I, I, I could be mistaken in this, but I seem to have read at one point that virtually every book in the Tanakh and the Old Testament is quoted or, or referred to in the New Testament, maybe with the exception of Esther. Right. So they, and of course the writers in the New Testament are Jewish, so they all, they have this understanding that this is the final product. This is the the canon of scripture, whatever the order those books might be in. Um and every book but Esther claims
0: to be the word has a specific mm. claim to be the word of God. Yeah. That is also
1: true. I think, uh, our, our friend Luther, I say friend with air quotes cause I'm, <laughs> I am <I'm> i am uncomfortable <laughs> with him, but I think he had a, he had a problem with Esther's inclusion in the Canon. And, uh, certainly there's, there's been debate about that, but now what about the new Testament? Because when it comes to the new Testament, this is of course comes much later, more, more, more recently in the mm-hmm. timeline. Um, how did we get these books, and, and how do we understand them to be the Word of God versus uh, what we might call uh, extra-biblical accounts that, that aren't included in the canon of the New Testament?
0: Well, that's more of a, of a process. You can find early, again, how do I know they're in the canon? I believe they're in the canon by, by as I read them, they give testimony to the same doctrine and teaching and they they bear the marks of being consistent in their message about Christ and God. I mean that's that's the primary mark that this book is in the canon, that it doesn't say something all of a sudden introduce some sort of strange doctrine like the gospel of Thomas or or, or some of these other books that people have said should have been in the canon that say pantheistic or or other things, but um, there were even early church fathers that we have quotes on that there was little disagreement that, for instance, Irenaeus, who is is only like um, a, a few people removed from the Apostle John, mm-hmm. as far as being a disciple, giving a quote about the four gospels, and um, there's just uh, other early church writing evidence that that these books were commonly accepted as as uh as scripture
1: and a lot of them they kind of refer to one another to some extent i I was just thinking of um of peter who is uh undoubtedly the the leader of the one of the early leaders of the early church and in um in one of his books he refers to paul and his writings being difficult Mm -hmm. and yet he puts them on par with it's, it's the word of God. And so I think you see that in other parts of the scripture, don't you? That there's there's a reference to other books of the Bible there.
0: I, I don't know if there's any book around that quotes itself so much hmm. as the Bible. Yeah. I mean, different books and different authors. There's even these amazing charts that show in kind of this rainbow fashion just how much the Bible refers to itself. So yeah, the, the New Testament books and their quotations of Old Testament, they presume these books and, and show that they were in the canon. And then even New Testament books and New Testament authors like Peter quote other New Testament authors yeah. to verify that they're within the
1: canon. Now, another interesting aspect of this uh, conversation is concerning canon and the reliability of what we're reading as the actual word of God is um, concerns the Dead Sea Scrolls, and the late 40s, early 50s, it's an exciting time over in the Middle East, exciting uh, in in, in multiple ways. Certainly, um, in 1948, Israel is is reestablished as a Jewish state. But in 1947, we have the discovery of at least the first of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, What role do those play in our understanding of Scripture as being uh, the Word of God and a reliable text today?
0: this is probably finishing a little bit of the conversation that we, we started earlier about mm-hmm. the Masoretes, because um, I think the oldest Masoretic copy that we have, oldest manuscripts, you know, they go back to sometime in the Medi- medieval ages. Mm-hmm. And so when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were in a certain part of Israel called uh, the the Qumran area, this very dry area in these caves, what happened in those jars that they found in those caves and they found those scrolls, they found text that had been preserved. They, they'd been put on ice. And as far as um, demonstrating historically that it was possible to faithfully and accurately copy by hand something going through through copies of copies of copies of mm-hmm. copies over thousands of years those texts those Dead Sea Scrolls predate Christ mm-hmm. by like a hundred years the 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 most amazing find in my mind of the Dead Sea Scrolls was the complete scroll of Isaiah yeah a complete scroll of Isaiah I've seen it um, in the museum over in Israel and so now they've already so here's, here's the historical test. We have, a, we have Masoretic texts of Isaiah that are you know, a thousand years after the time of Christ, and now we can compare them word for word with another handwritten manuscript that's a thousand years older. There's the test. So then the magic question would become, okay, did... Was Isaiah talking about you know Peter Pan? Right. <laughs> what's what's the verdict, right? <laughs> and it 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 just demonstrated, maybe shockingly to some people, like with Isaiah chapter fifty three, mm-hmm. I think in the whole, just as a, a specific example, there's you know outside of there being conjunctions like and or words like the or individual insignificant letters or different spellings of the same word or changes in grammar or writing style or stuff like that. No, no on the whole, what it demonstrated was, because I think the word light is the only actual word of, of the hundreds of words in Isaiah 53 that's actually different. Mm. I, I was so fascinated by that scroll. With my, my my Hebrew isn't very good. I, it takes me a long time to to gradually work with some of my tools to to, to see the words and kind of tr- kind of translate Hebrew myself. Mm-hmm. But um, you can even go on the internet today and you can find a picture of Isaiah chapter fifty three of the Dead Sea Scroll. Yeah, and I blew it up and printed it out because I wanted to. And, and the writing's very different. It's not as clear as reading like a Hebrew text, sure. so it's, it's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but I, I wanted to work through it myself because because Ty, there was one verse in there I wanted to see, and it, it says in the Dead Sea Scroll, one hundred years before Christ, Isaiah fifty three four. I read it for myself. I translated it for myself. He was bruised for our iniquities. Mm. So. Besides that, demonstrating like yeah. prophecy and prophecy of Christ, it also demonstrates just the faithfulness of the transmission of God's word for for thousands of years by hand. Mm. You know what a what a testimony to what to what God can do.
1: Yeah. So we've talked about inspiration. We've talked about the transmission of the text from those autographs down to. Um, modern translation but so let's talk about translation and and translations at least here in the United States or in the West uh, you can go into a bookstore or go online and you can be overwhelmed by the number of of different versions or translations of the scriptures Um, let's talk practically what well let me let me back up so I was raised in a church that uh, predominantly used the King James version of the Bible, old old version uh, in English. Um, it's not quite as common today in a lot of churches, but we do have some who would say the King James version is the only version of the scripture anybody should use. That's the in, that's the inspired Word of God, right. and the others are not. So let's jump in there and oh, wow. uh, okay. talk about that and and why why. Do you agree or disagree with that statement? Okay, just just for, so people maybe who aren't as familiar
0: in your broader audience yeah. understand, it's it's really sad, but Christians have an intramural fight that goes on about their own scriptures. We
1: would never fight, <laughs> not us.
0: God save us! You know? <laughs> Thankfully, He has, but not from not from all not, not from here. everything. <laughs> and I wish He'd save us from this, but yeah. So Christians do tend to fight even amongst themselves about things, and and Bible translations, unfortunately, has to be one of them. And um, there are some poor translations of God's Word out there, but there are several good uh, conservative Bible translations out there. And um, so um, maybe we just begin with, with this, what we need to remember is that no trans, no single translation of the Bible is inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's uh, those translators weren't holy men of God moved along by the Holy Spirit. Right, they made mistakes. Um, even the Masoretic copies had marginal readings in them. Um, but but uh, there, are most translations, in, in most everything they say say the same thing. If you're talking about the New American Standard Bible, the ESV, the CS, the CSB, the King James Version, the New King James Version, there are basically two types of differences between those Bibles, okay, when you're looking at the differences. And maybe, maybe we'll just get them, to them in a minute. Sure. There's two types of differences. But on the whole, looking at the differences can be very nitpicky. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one says, well, I I don't believe Jesus is God or is that he's the only Savior of mankind because I read such and such a translation. Right. And, or uh, I don't believe um, people should go to church today because I believe in this. Tra- I read this in my translation. Yeah. Or, Jesus didn't do miracles because of my translations. Or, Easter isn't about the resurrection of Christ because of my translation. That doesn't happen, right? You know. So first thing, so we need to have greater confidence in our conservative, uh, most accepted Bible translations and what they. Just do a test yourself. Read Romans chapter four. Read 1 Corinthians fifteen. Read them in multiple translations and ask yourself, really, what do I believe differently as a result of reading this translation? Hmm. In fact, the similarities similarities 98 percent speaks more of the faithfulness of the bible's translation and transmission sure so but um yeah so um one uh, picking out a translation you know i I would say go with one of the the accepted mainstream translations first of all you know you don't want to Choose a translation, and I don't even think they sell them really in bookstores. It's just by well, I can think of one that's that's done by one person. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's not that's not safe. Sure. Um sometimes a person will one person will have a little axe to grind, or not the best translation theory, but by a, a respected committee of Bible translations that are non-sectarian. Mm-hmm. And so. Our major translations are all good. In fact, the the King James Version's translators recommended other translations themselves. Hmm. So um, f- find one then that's you know that you find as you read it your 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 understanding it has a good flow. Language evolves over time. Christians don't believe in evolution, but language does evolve. Yeah. We, I even say different words that I didn't say growing up, Mm -hmm. you know, and say them in different ways. So that's what translations do—they put God's word into the common language of the people. And so, there'll always be a need for Bible translation. Mm -hmm. But uh, the I would recommend the the New International Version, the New American Standard Version. I read the Christian Standard Bible,
1: Um, which we should note used to be the the Holman. Christian standard Bible. So I think maybe there's no, a little
0: bias no, there. No, uh, Holman with a different spelling. Oh, you're not you're not name. getting a kickback from yeah, sales no, or anything no, like that. Okay. No. I had to clarify that for my people here <laughs> in the church.
1: So let's talk about this controversy that exists and, and really it's a it's in a it's not super small in our circle in real conservative evangelicalism and in the big scheme of things, it's relatively small. But that concerns this idea that the King James Version is the only version. Where does that come from, and how would you address that claim?
0: Well, I think that idea actually only comes from people in the last 50 years Mm. that the King James Version is the inspired version, because it didn't come from the King James Version translators themselves. Mm. Um, Unfortunately, in many copies, in many publications, and editions of the King James Version since 1611, the original preface to the King James Version that the translators wrote a long preface, like 16 pages single spaced, in describing the process of their translation and their theory of translation, as it will, their their practice, that preface was not reproduced. Hmm. People didn't read it, but you can still find on the internet the original, and you can still... Buy Bibles that include the preface. If you you know go okay. to Amazon.com, and just probably the the ver, it's it's ironic, isn't it? The very best case, <clears throat> excuse me, that the that the King James version is not the inspired translation of the Word of God, like the only and the very best case can be made by simply reading what the King James versions translators themselves said, hmm. and I could. I could demonstrate that in many things. It's it's a long preface, but just one of the things that they said was um, that they would have alternate readings in the margins.
2: Mm.
0: I I bought a King James Version um, recently, and and, uh, in Luke chapter 17, verse 36, it says, Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. But there's a note at the bottom of the page in the margin. It says this 36th verse is wanting in most Greek manuscripts or most Greek copies. Mm, It's not there. That isn't written by the modern publisher. That's what the original translators wrote in the margin. Mm. And so they're even acknowledging that 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 verse might not be inspired. They put it in there. So if they're acknowledging some uncertainty, and we're t- and again, this is this is nitpicky. Mm-hmm. No one says, I don't believe in the second coming of Christ because I read a certain translations. Right,
1: there's nothing doctrinally that's going to change yeah. because of these in readings. In fact, the illustration in the previous verse,
0: two women shall be grinding together, the one shall be taken and the other left, says the same thing, only uses women as an analogy instead of men sure it's just whether there's two analogies or one so it's it's nitpicky it doesn't really matter it just demonstrates very specifically that the King James Version translators themselves did not think that they were writing the inspired word of God and and uh, I even have old leafs from um, I have a 16 I have an old leaf from a 1683 King James Bible hmm. that was given to me as a gift 1683 this is an old piece of paper <laughs> and in the, in the in the margins of the gospel of mark in chapter 1 I'm looking at here and and I'm seeing um, one particular verse in which they it's not a textual difference see there's two types of differences but. Be- Whenever you read a difference in a translation from one translation to another, it's basically one of two types of differences. Okay, It's a different text because um, there, there there are 5,800 Greek manuscripts of varying portions of God's Word, ancient manuscripts. When I say manuscripts, I mean handwritten copies mm-hmm. from the first 12 centuries. Okay, So th- we have only grown in our... Discovery, that, that has been a running list, a growing list over the centuries as we have, we have found these manuscripts. And they date anywhere from the 1st century, uh, 125 A.D. You know, up to 12th, 14th century, some of these manuscripts. Right. Codex Sinaiticus, complete manuscript of the New Testament, I think in the 4th century, was handwritten. Well, Well, the translators had different handwritten manuscripts available to them from which they translated, mm-hmm. right? There's not like some secret room somewhere in the world where where this pristine manuscript of the Bible, you know, f- from Moses' hand exists, and then people all went to that room and wrote down. The translators weren't all working from the same manuscripts of the New Testament, or at, like the manu- the Masoretes weren't, weren't all working from a single manuscript. So sometimes a te- a translation reads something different. Sometimes it leaves out a verse because it's not in the manuscript from which the translators are translating. Okay, that's, yeah. that's that happens with with individual with a limited number of verses in the New Testament. You know, people talk about the um, uh, one chapter in John that's kind of different in some manuscripts and some. There's some verses in 1 John 5 that talk about the Trinity that are not in some manuscripts. There's these individual verses. So sometimes a, t- a translation difference is, is due to a t- what we call a textual difference. The translators didn't read that in the text, so they didn't translate it. Yeah. Then there's the other difference is just the, f- the basic fact that you can say things as language evolves over time you can say things differently you can say the same thing in different words some words today are even clearer expressions of of biblical words sometimes hmm. we don't we don't have words that exactly match the greek or hebrew word or they didn't at the time and now we made today because language evo- language evolves and changes that's why some for some people, at least, reading the King James like I don't, I don't speak this way. Sure, you know, I don't, I don't use any of these words. Why, why does God speak a different language than I? This isn't English, you know. Right. Um, so God didn't originally speak in English. So a translator is just trying to work between, um, yeah, you know, what the Bible said, and kind of bring it up to date and how people speak today and so there's that there's that that process that way so a newer translation is obviously going to reflect more changes in the english language
1: sure well you know as a kid i always learned the the b-i-b-l-e you know, the song the b-i-b-l-e sets the book for me i stand alone in the word of god the b-i-b-l-e um and then you shouted and then you shout i'm not going to do that for you <laughs> pastor but um when when we say that, we're t- saying, I, I'm standing on the word of God. I'm, I'm going to build my life around this. So when it comes to this multiplicity of translations, we don't have the original autographs. There's there's scribal errors. Um, as I'm talking to you, that doesn't seem to bother you. This seems like you can still build your life around uh, this as the word of God, despite the fact that they're not the original autographs. Just briefly speak to that. How practically, how can we... How can we do that? How can we build our lives around something that's a copy of a copy?
0: Well, you know,
1: I read the Bible and
0: I find God speaking to me through my translation of the Bible. Mm -hmm. You know, even though I spent, um, and I do spend a lot of time reading uh, Greek manuscripts, God still speaks to me through my translation Mm -hmm. of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that probably just gives me confidence uh, an an inner confidence uh, I that this is something that I should build my life around as as I read it mm-hmm. you know that's something again that, uh, as I said in like a previous episode only only by reading the Bible yourself will you will you have that internal conviction and that that personal experience. Uh, that growing conviction over time that that god is really working in my life and he's working in my life through this book not through some visions or dreams or impressions or feelings or or even other speakers but but even the, the best speakers i hear they help me understand what this book is saying mm-hmm. you know and and that's something that you have to you have to you have to delve into the bible yourself in order to come to a a firm conviction of
1: that, Pastor Mark. I want to thank you for your time this morning, uh, listeners. As as uh, I said at the outset, I recommend that you go back and listen to the first episode on the reliability of the scriptures. And you know, really, I, I heard a pastor say this once: the best translation you can read is the one that you pick up and read. That's the very best. So, Pastor, thank you for again for your time, and uh, thank you for joining us here on Gesher today.
0: It's been my pleasure. You've been listening to Gesher, a ministry outreach production of FOI Equip, your free resource for learning and engaging with the scriptures from a Jewish perspective. To learn more, visit foiequip.org. And for more information about Thai, visit FOI.org forward slash Perry. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom.